Hello and welcome to the Filmmakers Podcast. I am Giles Alderson, writer, director of the Dare feature film and World of Darkness feature documentary and producer of A Serial Killer's Guide to Life. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking, from indie films to studio films and everything in between, how to get them made, how to make them and how to try not to F it up. In our very, very humble opinion. Joining me today is regular co-host Christian James, director of Freak Out, the zombie comedy stalled and fanged up, which went down a storm at Fright Fest last month. Hello, Christian. Hi, Giles. How are you since I saw you yesterday? <laughs> really good. <laughs> we what's, were at the what's... Screenwriters Festival yesterday. Yeah, doing chatting li- to writer and producer of 71. Greg Burke and Angus Lamont. Lovely chaps. Really insightful. Amazing, it, actually. It was a script to screen where basically it was like a live DVD commentary. It was my dream come true. It's basically our own personal DVD commentary. So we mm. got to watch the film of those guys and then... Ask them questions. Ask them questions. It's like, it was absolutely amazing. Yeah. It was great. And I'd recommend the Screenwriters Festival. Obviously, you've just missed it. Yeah. It's on again next year. But do uh, check out Chris Jones's blog and you'll see loads more events coming up for screenwriters. It's very good. Um, last week's show, which was with Sam Miller, director of Luther, Relic and Luke Cage, has been so well received. We had so many nice comments on iTunes, so thank you so much for that. But do listen if you're Emerging Director, because he had so many knowledge bombs and information for Emerging Directors and directors who are doing loads of stuff. Yeah. And, and so keen to share his experiences. Yeah, which was lovely. Mm. Um, so do check that out on iTunes. Speaking of iTunes, we were number two last week on the iTunes chart for film and TV. Giles was, was texting me and ringing me all day. We're number 10. So, yeah. We're number eight. Oh my God, we're number two. So yeah, it's like a, it was like a, you know, for a day, it was like we were like a hit film yeah. or something. We didn't get to number one. No. Sad news. But to, come. to be honest, to get to number two is incredible since mm. we just started this. Um, so I'm over the moon. Uh, so thank you for all your kind comments and if you haven't yet do go on iTunes and do give us a nice rating and uh, subscribe and subscribe because that's really important subscribing really helps and rating helps but we love it with a nice review honestly it warms our cockles so we're in Just Voices studio today, which is a fantastic studio in Victoria. And Simon has kindly lent us his studio. But this studio is fantastic. If you're uh, doing a podcast, a voiceover, and you need a studio to record in, then do go check out justvoicesagency.com. And I'd recommend this studio. They're technically, recommend. I suppose, a sort of unofficial, a goodwill sponsor of the show. Yes. They? They've sort of heard yeah. us and subscribed and they're like, well, we want to get involved. So thanks, guys. Really Thank you. That. Today, we are talking about how to edit film and win an Academy Award for doing so and talking about filmmaking with our wonderful guest. Now, this guest has worked on the James Bond films Tomorrow Never Dies, The World Is Not Enough and Die Another Day, The Mummy and The Mummy Returns, Troy, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Children of Men, Sweeney Todd. This list goes on. I hate hate overachievers. I'm turning the page. He won an Academy Award, an Oscar, CJ, an Oscar, no less, for editing on the Sandra Bullock and George Clooney thriller Gravity, directed by Alfonso Quran. He's making me look really bad. And most recently, edited Transformers The Last Night and Andy Serkis' soon-to-be-released The Jungle Book. Ladies and gentlemen, filmmakers across the world, it's Mark Sanger! Thank you. Hi, Mark. That's a quite what an intro, wasn't it? I mean, I'm speechless. I'm when, emotional. When you hear it summed up like that, do you sort of think, you know, do you have those down days you're like, oh, I've done nothing, and then suddenly you hear that and you might go, oh, okay, it's not so bad. Uh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's a bit weird because, uh, for instance, my brother uh, and I were always always massive James Bond fans mm. and um, I had some of the best uh, if not the best times I've had in my career working on on those Bond movies I worked on however in my brother's humble opinion mm. uh, they were the three crap ones <laughs> so it, it's <laughs> nice of him to say you do yeah I mean it's funny you, you go back and you look at all these these uh, movies and you relate them not to the movie itself on yeah. whether or not it was a good movie or whether or not people enjoyed it yeah uh, but to whether what the experience was for you sure and um uh, i think it's it's 
it's kind of interesting because it's kind of one thing that I'm wrestling with a little bit at the minute is you get into the industry because of your love of cinema, mm. your passion for cinema. Sure. Mm. And then what happens is, is <laughs> uh, you get wrapped up in the whole machine of it all. And or certainly I have been wrapped up in the whole machine of it all. In the, and I'm very, very privileged to have done that. And at the same time, what me, it means is that I don't go to the cinema as much anymore. Yeah. Mm. What inspired you? What films, I suppose, what films got that fire lit in your belly? Um, the kind of 70s American cinema was what really started me. Then I went on to, and I got into sort of the, um, you know, spaghetti westerns mm. and, and those sort of things. Film school? Uh, did you, do, you, do you go to film school or did you no, get? they wouldn't take me in. Wow. This is not uncommon that some of the best filmmakers didn't make it to film school. Well, that's nice of you to, to say um, some of the best filmmakers you've, you, but mm. um, it's, uh, they, <laughs> it's, I have to say, for anybody who knows me, they'll be laughing at you right now because I, I think anybody in the industry, you know, we all look at each other and make fun of each other when sure. when somebody's being um, uh, nice uh, because there are <laughs> there are so many uh, talented people out there, and I I work with talented people every single day. I think what happens is in the industry, this is what I've talked about uh, a lot, and I'm. But, actually very happy to keep on talking about it is the collaborative process of working in, in the industry mm. when you're working with a bunch of true professionals who are passionate about the job whatever the job may be you know because you don't get to choose your jobs even you know at my humble level you don't get to t say you know i'm going to turn that one down i'm going to turn that one down the, the job that comes into the door that's going to pay the mortgage if somebody offers you a job it's a, an instinct from when i was 19 years old never to say yes yeah. always yeah. a first job yeah. First job offer, take the first job offer. You yep. always take the first job offer. I've been very privileged in that I've not really ever regretted taking it's always worked out well. I can't think of one movie that I can look back on and say, I wish I'd never taken that job. Mm. Wow, that's that's interesting. No, it's it? I mean because everything you take the job because you need to pay the bills. Mm -hmm. Um and then when you take the job, if you're really lucky it's with somebody really talented or really cool. And I've never never accepted a job and then gone oh god all right well i have to get through this one i've yeah. always thought wow this is, is this that... is bringing in a new new kind of experience and and to, to to conclude what you were saying i think um because you're working with uh a bunch of a lot of the time you know it's a bunch of people that you've idolized all your career that's mm. another thing that just mm. makes it a blow <clears throat> blow your experience what happens is you're never in a room where you think I'm the most talented person in the room. You're always in a room full of highly talented professional people. Mm. Um, that's not true. There's been a couple of independent <laughs> movies where um, people with executive producer uh, mm. comments. Yes, uh, uh, credits. Uh, yeah. Perhaps who've, who've not worked in the industry before, you give them full credit, but then they, 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 they seem to be the most egotistical people in the room often. Mm. Um, the other people have justifiable egos. Um, other than other than them, you're working with a bunch of people that uh, are, you know, make the creative process uh, exciting. That's what you go into work to do every day, and um, their passion takes you through. Their passion is it makes you want to work harder, right? If you're working with the best, that's that's or, thing. I think for cinema for me is two things. Mm. It's the the movies that you go to watch that you have no idea about, and you sit down and you're surprised by, mm. and completely soaked up in, and then. There's the movies that you're working on where 
you'll never want to watch that movie again. If you worked in editorial, mm. you, it's never, you don't want to, when that comes up on TV, you don't say, oh, I'll watch that again. Sure. You've seen it a million times. It, working on the movie is about the creative collaborative process. Mm. And so it's a two-pronged thing for me. And also you've worked with very uh, collaborative filmmakers, like Tim Burton, Michael Bay. Every, every director I've worked for, I'm trying to think of one director I've worked for who is not collaborative because the myth of Michael Bay, for example, is someone who's like, this is what you do. And I don't, it doesn't maybe seem to be quite I, so true. I absolutely love Michael. Mm. Absolutely love Michael. And I know he has a, a, a lot of um, detractors out there and people who um, uh, mock him. Mm. I can tell you, having seen his dailies, absolute honest truth. I'm, nobody's paying me to say this. No. His dailies, when they come in in the morning, are the dailies of a true cinematographer, a true director. Mm. They are some of the best dailies I've ever seen. And every single wow. day you get them. And from an editor's point of view, you know, because I didn't edit that on my own. There was a lot of us five, editing. Was there four or five of you? Uh, there was, yeah. I mean, you know, there's about 15, 20 of us. There was, there was loads of, um, four or five main people. Yeah, there. yeah. And there's the, the thing is that what you get with Michael is 10 hours of material a day. Yeah. You know, 90% of that is completely usable. And when you're, as an editor, you're looking for moments to, to cut on mm. and you know, Michael's thinking about that as he's directing the actors. Yeah. So not only have you got uh, the actor turning on that line where you, you're willing the actor to turn, as you're watching the days, you're going, please, 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 please turn on that line. Oh, my God, you did turn on that line. Yeah. And at that moment, this lens flare breaks past their face. Oh, and always, you go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so wonderful. I can't cut now. Well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. There's no, no way. It's just, it, it's just beautiful. It's just beautiful. So, is, so it, is there, is there rapid fire editing almost because you just want to fit in so many money shots? It's almost like this and then, you know. There's a, the thing is on on those movies is that often you'll you'll go back to Michael and say you really want to do that you know I I, I would say to Michael why why are we you know lingering on um, some beautiful uh, girl's this, face it, for so long for instance for instance and he'll look at you as if to say you have no idea uh, of the movies that I make do you <laughs> and you and you'll have a he's he's actually very nice and he have a very nice conversation with him and at the end of it I will turn around and go you know what he's absolutely right that is. I'm I'm making decisions based upon uh, a movie that is not a Michael Bay movie. Mm. And there's only one guy who knows how to make a Michael Bay movie. And by the way, in terms of the post-production process where you're cutting, you don't have 15 executives and three executive producers. There's one person, mm. and that is Mr. Michael Bay. Which makes your job, I suppose, a bit easier. Absolutely. Yeah. One person making the decision for you. I, absolutely. For, for, an, for all editors, having Michael as a, as a boss... Uh, takes actually takes a lot of the the stress and pressure away from things because um, you are you are you know that you have only got one person to answer to. Mm. Uh, whereas great. with you know with a, a lot of directors, the, the the you know they are in a situation where they they physically maybe they don't have directors uh, uh, they they don't have final cut mm. and you know you do your director's cut and then you go through this process where there's a there's a meeting of minds between the editor the director and the studio and that don't get me wrong that can often work beautifully but it, that can be a, a trial for everybody um whereas with michael you know you just you just go in and he uh, he tells you what he wants uh you cut that you give it to him and that goes in the movie how Crazy. do you divvy up i mean it looks to me i could be wrong that he you have a scene only you know you only shoot a scene two or three times but you have many many cameras on it but or are there multiple is he a, does he do a lot of takes and then a lot of angles or yeah he goes in uh, knowing exactly what he wants and he steps up to the plate and he gets exactly what he wants and then he riffs and mm -hmm. you know when you're working with you know um 
Anthony Hopkins or Mark Wahlberg, they, mm-hmm. they love riffing. Mm. So basically, I'd say takes one and two are, are probably what Michael wanted uh, to get. And then at that point, it's, a, it's about where is the additional magic going to come from? So, yeah, the, the thing is, as an editor, you are presented with a whole bunch of uh, options. Mm. But again, Michael's the boss and he makes a decision very quickly over which angle he wants to play that scene from. As an editor, you go in to take one or two and you assess with him uh, which way he wants the, the scene to go. And from that point onwards, you then are you know how where you're going to go in all the rest of the angles and all the setups uh, to honor that direction that he set up at the beginning but equally so you could go and cut that scene six or seven different ways because of of the volume of usable material what about all the sort of the the robots hitting robots which for me is i I struggle with i'll be honest i i love movies where there's there's drama and tension between people with robots versus robots i've always had a little issue with it when you're cutting something like that which obviously you might not see straight away the shot comes back and it's it's what an empty sort of town and then the visual effects start on top of that. How do you even start to cut something like that? Uh, it's a very good question. Um, Thank you. I'm not actually. I'm not actually sure. Uh, no. <laughs> um, I was going to ask you. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, what What normally happens is you just have to have some imagination. You have to have a good sense of timing, editorial timing, because you have to be able to present your director with a shot when you know that there's. It, it's not necessarily a transformer. It could be anything. Mm. You know, if it's if it's an animated character that's swinging an axe through frame, um, when you first assemble that scene together, if you found a camera move that works with the action Swing. that's ultimately going to happen, mm. then you need a good sense of editorial timing and some imagination in order to assemble that later on. And you you put it together just imagining that those things are going on. Then you've got a bunch of clean plates. At that point, it's not like you're locking those things down. Those things, you turn those those plates over and the magic actually happens when it gets over to the visual effects guys and they start putting things in. What you're really looking for is the, the, the mechanism of how the shots are going to go together. Anybody who cuts those movies has to have a good sense of timing and imagination in order to, to go through that. But you don't really get your dailies until you've sent the plates through. And then these characters start coming in rough forms. And that's really when you first start editing your scene. You don't really edit a, uh, you know, a clean plate scene until right. you've got your dailies. And your dailies turn up six weeks after you've, you've turned over the, well, on Transformers movie about three hours after you've turned over the scene because ILM are uh, a machine. <coughs> yeah. Right. Should Let, we? Let's jump back I was going to say, oh, Charles, I wish I thought I did it. I was going to say, can we jump back a second? Yeah, yeah, yeah. To the beginning. I wanted to, because you worked, you were kind of floor runner on TV shows. You also worked on Shakespeare in Love and stuff like that. How did you first start? In the business, how did you get to where did you, you have are? Friends, family, or was it just no? I want to make movies and. Um, I have slept with a lot of people in the industry. Well done, and, well done. Yes, yeah, yeah. and thank you, by the way, for letting me do this <laughs> podcast. Well, thanks for sleeping. Well, especially, especially after that performance. <laughs> um, I, I I wanted to to be a director for since I was six years old, and I made little Super Eight movies, and I edited those Super Eight movies. And you spice it all together. I spice, think you learn yeah. how to do it. Yeah. So you get a good sense of, I mean, still some of the things when I'm directing short films now, when I'm, when I'm um, even editing big movies now, um, the, 
some of the key lessons that I learned when I was six and seven years old making silent Super 8 movies are absolutely still uh, rock solid rules that I will follow now. You know, for instance, uh, when you're coming into an action, yeah, um, it sounds silly, but a lot of people don't do this. Um, give yourself a, a head handle and a tail handle on the end of the action. So it not only does that work for you editorially to go from one shot to the next, but your performers, your artists, your actors and your actresses also get a sense of the rhythm of the flow of the scene that you've blocked. And so, and it's surprising how many directors don't, don't do that. Editorially, it's very useful. So anyway, I, I, I go off on a sang a tangent, so I apologize. No, that's good. Um, um, like so what, what, what that means is that when I, um, I got to, you know, 16 years old, I made another couple of short films, tried to get into film school, mm. didn't get in. So I decided I was going to go back to editing because that way I could work my way up. By a curious twist of fate, in order to get into editing, I ended up working in every department in the industry, which turned out to be the best education. Yes, yes. And so, yeah, I worked in locations, art department, production. You understood what went on on a film set. You understood you, what yeah, happened. It's the it's the the mechanism of of you know the how the machine works. Mm. You know how all the different cogs in the in the machine and and how they uh, interact with each other. That to me, particularly ending up in editing, was uh, particularly useful because, <laughs> in fairness, nobody really while you make while you're in pre production and production, the editors are the guys that you know, aren't going to really be uh, worried about on the day-to-day basis because, let's face it, these guys have a schedule, they have a budget, um, they have logistics to deal with, weather, mm-hmm. um, um, and the editors are the guys who are going to just handle all this later on at the end of the day. So to go through that whole experience and then end up in editing was, I think, for me... Uh, uh, I would have been very unlucky had it not turned out that way. What was the first job you landed? That sort of, yes, I've, I've broken in. My first job was in the Pinewood Tank. I don't know if you know yeah, Pinewood. Yeah, but yeah, okay. of So course. down at the Pinewood yeah, Tank. Yeah. So um, on um, the sequel to Gone with the Wind with there Timothy Dilton. Sequ- oh, yeah, yeah. Wait a, yes. second, wait a second. Wait a second. Giles laughed then. Yeah. I did. What was that? It was a. This was the first job in my industry. I don't remember this. My, my first job in the Gone with the Wind too. Or, oh, I, I just farted again. I what think, was the title? <laughs> I think it was it was called uh, Scarlet, and it was a TV movie. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it was uh, Timothy Dalton as Rhett Butler and Joanne Wally Kilmer as Scarlet. Okay, decent. A- and um, it it was a. I think ultimately it was a uh, two two hour. Uh, episode Epic. yeah and we anyway we were filming a Rhett and scarlet uh yeah. in a boat out at sea and they, they go out on a romantic uh boat trip out to sea mm. and then there's a massive storm and scarlet falls overboard and spoilers titanic so, yeah 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 it's gonna go sure, out and yeah, watch yeah for anybody was, who wants yeah. to see the sequel i was gonna i was, couldn't wait to see that yeah, i'm ruined it now yeah just, well no you, i think i'm not even sure if it's available anymore <laughs> um <laughs> but that's why i left <laughs> i operated the wind machines Oh, nice! And uh, oh. I was—it uh, it was cool for me, yeah. Um, but freezing uh, for the other people. It, oh no, no! It was actually—he's brilliant. 
thanks. Yeah. He's brilliant. I was actually, I can go the other way. I can okay. tell you, it was, it was a scorching hot summer mm-hmm. and uh, all the spray that I was bringing off the, the, the water gave me the best hand of my life. Ba- basically, I, uh, but I was really bad at that job. And, uh, and then I got another job in special effects and I was really bad at what, that. What, what made you bad at pointing at holding a fan? A fan yeah. Uh, you suddenly realise that you, you actually d- only have a few talents sure. in your life, a few <laughs> abilities. Sure. And I couldn't, I, I wasn't very good at p- pointing the fan. Your career at that fan company. Well, switching you, on the yeah. fan was, was, not, was not an easy thing for me at the beginning of the take because it involved a mechanical device. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you, you switch the ignition on this, on this mechanical device. Like it's, it's got to wind up or something. Yeah, yeah. and it like, involves petrol and stuff yeah. like that. Ah. I'm thinking and, of like a normal fan you well, plug you in, just, your, you know, turn, like the in my office. But this is no. No, this is oh, an no. industrial thing. Yeah. It is. It's the the width of this room, yeah. which is great for all those listeners out there. Those <laughs> the best this description like I can give. Yeah, <laughs> we're in a hangar. Um, it was. You know, it's about. You know, I don't know, three meters, four meters wide or something. Yeah, and um, uh, yeah, and you just switch on, and you have these ear mufflers and everything. And I was just not very anything mechanical. That was the mm. other thing. You had to do welding and things as a special effects guy. And, you know, yeah, you put, don't put a welding torch in my hand. So but if you, if you had a choice between turning a fan on and being a welder or being an Oscar-winning editor, because yes. you're saying you weren't very good at those. I did, have to be yeah, good you at could have become thing. an Oscar-winning set, uh, fan man. It's, it's so, unlikely, yeah, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> it, was, it could have done that. Right. <laughs> in, in all fairness, none of them were actually uh, ever anything that I planned for. Of so, course. Who, um, who wants to plan to be a, a turning on a fan? I mean, no, well, I, I was just I was just rolling with it. Of yeah. course. It's you a know. great first job. Are you like on a film set? Well, well, I think, I think uh, I'm going to jump in. The podcast isn't even about me, but I'm going to jump in anyway. It, it, it is. But the, going back to what you said earlier, just, you know. And by the t- way, t- welcome. T- to the podcast Thank today. you. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Mark's welcome, now Mark. the regular co-host, <laughs> and I'm just the guest. Um, Tell but, us about you. But I think it's important. Oh, at last, just <laughs> stop talking about other people. At last, just talk about me for once. Um, it's, really, it's quite scary how quickly Mark's got my number. And uh, mm. yeah, he totally understands. Yeah, because, because, yeah, I'm because cutting all this out. The first worry. time in my life, uh, I am my wife, and you are me. Because <laughs> it's normally my wife saying. Just stop turning the conversation around back to you, please. <laughs> anyway, carry on. Uh, but just take the tr- take a gig, take a job, and it will lead somewhere. You know, the yeah. universe kind of probably has a plan. Just dive in and go wherever because you don't know where you'll end up. It's a it's a it's a very interesting set of chain reaction. It's kind of a domino effect. I think nowadays people trying to get into the industry put a lot of pressure on themselves to. Mm be something that they want to be very fast. And I actually subscribe to the opposite of that, which is um, uh, go in and give yourself a break. Go in and try everything and be very good at it, be very enthusiastic, be very passionate about it. Some things you won't like, but try everything if you possibly can get as much experience as you possibly can and then in the background be always have it in the back of your mind about what your goal is or goals i think ambition is sometimes a dangerous thing in the industry because what happens is you know you can get to a certain age where you start uh if things haven't worked out in the way that you'd originally planned you're putting a lot of your pressure on yourself to suddenly make things happen quickly Mm. and it's very it, I, I don't think that necessarily helps. I think we're very, very lucky to be part of this core group of people in the industry who um, are working at, you know, at, at a level where your work is seen by other people. And and so often it's it's good to just 
let go of whatever original plan you had and, and allow it to evolve. I, I feel that to get a, that broad background was very useful for me. And I'm not, you know, I, I want to go on and direct one day. Mm. So I'm, on a ver- I'm very happy where I am, but I'm also, you know, I still got some plans, but I'm just letting it evolve. With that in mind, has opportunities come your way to direct yes. anything? And- yes. Can you say what? Uh, Can you no. hint at what? No. Good but, um, I, well, I will just say this. Cut that one down. Avatar. No. no. Uh, <laughs> too. No. Um, no, actually, um, because getting offered a directing job is so rare and you're so privileged to be offered it, you can sound very egotistical when you turn something down. But at the same time, you you do need to be choosing the right project. Mm. And um, so I, I do have lots of... Um, Irons and fire, and I'm attached to uh, three things at the minute. And um, the thing is, as I say to my agent, you know, I like spinning plates. I always like having three or four things going at the same time okay. uh, because none of those may happen. Yes. Yeah. Two of them may happen. Yeah. But none of them may happen. Then you need to have, you know, that plate crashes and falls to the floor. You need another one to start going The one right you're away. bothered about is suddenly becoming very attractive. Well, right? yeah. And the thing is, but if you, if you are very selective over what those four projects are then you'll have a favorite among them but you want to make them all and to me that that that's the that's the the way that i operate and it may be that i never direct anything because of the my resume i uh, do get offered a lot of stuff that is uh, visual effects for visual effects sake okay sure and so in in those that uh, my the the short film i just uh, directed is um, it's not a kitchen sink drama, but it's a very intimate, uh, small scale piece, and those are the sort of movies that that I like. I mean, my favourite movie of all time is Once Upon a Time in the West. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Or another one is Deliverance. Yeah. Mm. You know, um, these are character pieces, With very little visual effects, if yeah. none yeah. at all. Absolutely. Mm. Okay. Let's. So obviously you've. You didn't get into film school. You then worked as uh, all sorts of jobs. Um, you became assistant editor on many, many projects. Let's talk about Children of Men and then move into Gravity. Obviously, mm. you worked with Alfonso on Children of Men mm. as visual effects side of things, mm. right? As the editor. Um, talk us through how that worked. and Segway. How you segway met. and yeah. the relationship there. Uh, I was working on another movie and uh, I got a call that there had been... Um, there was a you know, visual effects editor job which had come up. I think somebody had left halfway through. Um, and so I actually came into Children of Men very late. Right. Um, but I developed a relationship with Alfonso during that film. To be fair, I was probably only there six or eight months or something. I can't really remember now. Um, seems like an awful seems long, like long time. A long time. <laughs> well, <Yeah. laughs> you compared to the, the you know, gravity was three years. Did so. you call him Al? No, uh, it's always no, Alfonso. no, yeah, um, not the Fonz. No, no, no. Just very morning. So uh, he, so basically, we, div- yeah, we we got on very well on that, and then Gravity came round, and he was looking for somebody who kind of fit that little niche, and uh, I happened to be one of them. In truth, there are um, uh, a whole bunch of people who would be very, very capable of doing that job. I was just. Um, I was the guy who he had just worked with on Children of Men. Sure. And so it's just one of those one of those things. And we went into that movie very early on 
not knowing whether or not it was like a year before it was greenlit. So we were kind of experimenting. We didn't know quite. Um, Alphonse had a very clear vision of what the movie was, but we didn't know quite whether or not it was ever going to get made. He'd, he'd actually had it. He'd taken it to Universal and Universal wanted to put Angelina Jolie in it. Okay. And we were we were basically uh, riffing a little bit for a while. Mm. And at some at one stage, I remember needing to. Um, we were recording voices, and I needed um, f- somebody to play the female lead and somebody to play the the male lead. Mm. And I got in um, a friend of mine, Jillian McGregor, to play the female lead. Mm. And um, I said, I said, do you know anybody who could uh, be the male lead in this? And uh, she said. Um, I don't know anybody good, but there's this guy Giles um, uh, who could come in and, and do this stuff. Yeah, and I said, "Okay, fine. Yeah. All right, let's let's bring him in." And she brought Love in, this guy. yeah, she brought in this guy, and he he read all of Clooney's lines. No, way. basically, I am technically in Gravity. <laughs> technically, I am in Gravity. I, I didn't know this about it. You've kept, um, you know, you've kept yeah, I've quiet. kept this quiet. Um, <laughs> basically, I came along for the day. I went and, and met yourself, and yeah. I walked. You were sort of the fluffer for Clooney. I, well, he wasn't there. I think it was Danny Jr. Danny Jr. at the time point, yeah. as, as yeah. attached, and I had to read all the lines, and you, yeah, for some sort of previs thing. Yeah. yeah. So, as your email said to me a few years later, you, your DNA is in this film. Yeah. At the time, I didn't know what the film was going to be. I did not. Know, I just read these lines i was like this is cool yeah i had no idea how big this film would be but so yeah so you my dna is in the film right uh, absolutely your dna is in the film and that's what the same with um (laughs) same with jill jill is great as well she's really cool absolutely and you know i you know i i lent upon both of you at the time because it was at the time it was just myself alfonso and the storyboard artist uh temple Mm. and um uh, visual effects were just gearing up, but we we didn't have anything. We just had some storyboards, a little bit, tiny little bit of previs, mm-hmm. and your voices. Yeah, and um, that must have been annoying. No, no, no it was oh, right. honestly. <laughs> hey, we, the, the, this is what I mean about the DNA of the movie is that fundamental decisions that were set then, because mm-hmm. you know Alfonso as a true true cineast, he, yeah. you know he he when he makes a decision. It's because it's highly informed and and educated, and decisions that were made based upon your performances then are obviously um, uh, things that lingered and and ended up on the on on the big screen. Yes. Even though yes. I cut out every single line that you said, <laughs> I can attest. I can attest. Giles does linger. So that's, I, I linger in the yeah. room. There's the, the smell now. Um, yeah, that, that's that's just cool. It's a nice little anecdotal story yeah. for me. I do feel bad that I didn't mention you in the Oscar speech. I'm sorry about that. Mm. You mentioned a lot of people. Can we talk about your Oscar speech? You were the coolest man I've ever seen to win an Oscar. That's very nice of you, but that's <laughs> not the case at all. What was going through your mind when you you've got to go to YouTube and check out Mark looking absolutely cool as hell and saying all the right things um what was I going was, through your mind i was uh thinking i really do hope that uh my nappy doesn't leak yeah <laughs> that was, was black uh, suit you're okay yeah yeah you, know, you don't get into this industry to to seek uh awards sure and it's nice though but you know it it's not something that any that comes naturally to any of us because all of us behind the scenes are behind the scenes for reasons. Yeah, you're not so, on camera. You're not yeah. used to speak standing up in front of no. lots of famous people. No, so it's 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 a, a wonderful privilege because you are suddenly hanging around with a, pe- a lot of uh, people. I'm not talking about movie stars. I'm talking about 
um, filmmakers, filmmakers, and technicians. You know, people people that I've known for as heroes of mine from making of documentaries in the eighties. Mm. All of a sudden, you're sat at a dinner table with these people. Mm. Yeah, and you know, to me, that was just uh, that was astonishing. So that's all wonderful. Um, but then what happened was we, in terms of awards, we had a whole slew of some great awards up front. And then as, you know, it gets, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger mm-hmm. and bigger and bigger and bigger builds. But then um, some of my uh, very good friends were uh, winning awards for other movies, like Chris Rouse won the, uh, the ACE, the Eddie Award for Captain Phillips, which I genuinely believed would win the Academy Award. Mm. I remember calling Alfonso up uh, the week before and saying, I don't think we're going to win, so I'm just going to um, go along and have a good laugh. And and we, my wife and I went along and had a lovely evening. Mm. And then when they read out that we'd won, I, to be honest with you, um, I was like, oh. Shit. Yeah, well, I didn't have a speech. I was going to say, so you didn't kind of you did, you didn't write an awesome speech. Prepared. Well, so, even when you'd won the other ones before, because you'd won, you, did you know? No. Just a mishmash of the previous shaking speeches. His <laughs> At this point, Mark is shaking his head. <laughs> so, as you're walking up there, what's, what's yeah, going was, on in your head? Do you, are you thinking, oh my God, I've got to say something. Because cool. honestly, you look so cool. You're like, yeah, this is easy. Water off the duck's back. <laughs> no, to be fair, you know, you just, I just kind of thought, okay. Yeah, I went a bit zen about it, I guess. I just, mm. I just, to me, the most important thing was this, is that when you stand up on that stage and you've been working for three years on something, you have had a large team of people who have been supporting you. Mm. And I didn't want to get up on stage and thank the key people, the celebrities in the room necessarily. Yes. Mm. Because I, I can tell you, you know, they Sandra Bullock thanks. certainly – um, wasn't going to be interested in me thanking her. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, she was very, very uh, nice to me about it. It was, it was all wonderful. And yet um, uh, she has bigger things in her life than uh, me thanking her. Yes. So as, as much as the movie depended upon her performance. Which was an amazing performance. Which was, a, when you see how we shot it, it's even more amazing. Sure. Um, there are a whole bunch of people who needed to be mentioned. When I got up there, um, I mentioned the team. That's why I thought it was prepared, because you just listed every name. It was just brilliant. Just great. Yeah. No, I was very, very lucky that I didn't. Uh, uh, to be honest with you, when you do step up on there, there was a moment in there, and you. Uh, I have watched it back once, and I swear it was only once because it's too awful to ever watch again. I watched it back once when my wife forced me to watch it back. <laughs> and... Um, uh, and she, she forced me to watch it back because I said, what about the big pause? You know, there was like a, a, a moment where I stopped for like 30 seconds and had nothing to say. And I remember looking off across to the right, I think probably to my wife as if to say, um, uh, I don't know what I'm going to say now. I've, I've lost. Train of thought's gone. Just blank. And for 30 seconds, that's what I was saying. Um, but my wife forced me to play it back. And it was about a second and a half. Wow, yeah. And then I got it back. Your brain must have just been thinking, oh, my God, oh, my God. It's like that whole pressure. I suppose being on stage as an actor, yeah, forget your lines. You think, oh, the world closes good, in, yeah. but no one else notices. Yeah, I don't think anybody noticed, but mm-hmm. well, um, I didn't. Yeah, it was... Um, it was uh, good. It was okay. I was proud. The... Thank you. Yeah. Oh, no, like, no I, I, I hate this stuff because now I'm going to sound up, but I, 
you knew you were going to meet me in the future and you were proud of me even then. I saw you then. Right. I was like, Mark, yeah. you right. and me. Uh, <laughs> you could see, see my DNA. I rub yeah. my palm <laughs> down the across the yeah, Oscar yeah, yeah. walls. Yeah, just, there's something about Giles in yeah, this movie. I yeah. couldn't quite work it out. You can yeah. smell him. Yeah. After the Oscar, a week later, you know, other than your price going up, life must be pretty much the You've same. You've still got to put out the washing. You've still got yeah. to... Yeah, and then also, I suppose, Mark when you get that yeah. level of success as well... And in truth, what actually happens is is that for a few weeks, um, you don't get any job offers because everybody is kind of giving you some space waiting for any egos to subside uh-huh. and definitely waiting for your salary to come back down again. Sure, <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, yeah people, people back off. Sure. That's yes, so uh, you'd never expect that. I'd have thought it'd been like... Everyone just want the. Don't get me wrong. I'm not complaining. Sure, you know, no, yeah, I'm not complaining. No. It's just we, what it's like. A, it's it's like you then have to step up and go. Hey, um, would you can can we do a film together? And some of them uh, turn around and say that would be lovely. Some of them turn around and go, No, there's a reason why I never approached you, and that is because I don't ever want to work with you ever <laughs> in my career. <laughs> yeah. I know about you. I've spoken to your friends. <laughs> yes, and that is why. And by that time, I realised it was probably a bad idea to to approach them. Mm. <laughs> but it's too late. It was. Yeah. Like, it was but uh, everybody's a little bit embarrassed. But at least you know. Yeah. But, you know but, I mean? but exactly. Yeah. People are clear. <laughs> yeah. You can take them off your dartboard. Now. You can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's yeah let's talk about how you actually edited Gravity and yes. sat there and you're there for three years on this project and. It's a sensational project, and you're listening to my voice over and over. Um, Which is why it was sensational. Thank you. Um, so how did, yeah, how, talk us through the process of this, because it's, it's obviously there's the massive opening shot, well, it's nearly opening shot for 12 minutes, um, and, and on all the other wonderful cuts. It's almost like you can't tell there's, it, there's editing moments, which is how I love my editors to work. You don't notice. And a lot of the time in that film, it's so beautifully cut that you don't notice it um talk us through your process talk us tell us how did it happen uh well to be fair when because it had never been done before that way and probably never will again because of the circumstances of the the film um the nature of the the story and the way that alfonso wanted to execute it in terms of process you we you had to jump through a bunch of technical hoops if that's the right phrase, to before you got you got into the creative aspects of it, and the that sitting down at the very beginning was about that was the period where people began to realise this would be something very very different because of what Alfonso wanted to do with the camera, mm. and then once uh, you know myself and Tim Weber, the visual effects supervisor, realised what Alfonso wanted to do with the camera, we realised that he Tim and I would be working together very collaboratively because editorial were going to be the heart of pre-production in fact we were the heart of development prior to pre-production then we were the heart of pre-production then we were the heart of production and then ultimately as per usual we were the heart of post-production but the what what that meant was that i had to work very closely with uh, my team and frame stores team had to work very closely shaping and forming a an outline, a previous outline, a storyboard outline, using your voices, my voices occasionally, mm-hmm. um, in order to, to rough something out to the point where we were able to then start making some edit, proper editorial decisions. We hadn't got the green light at this stage. We were still working on the assumption that hopefully we would get the money from the studio. Yeah. That went on for a year or so. Um, so we were we were working very very hard to deliver something that might not actually ever hit the cinemas okay 
Um, and then because of the need uh, for the lighting and the performances to drive the story and the, and the visuals, not the other way around, mm. um, we the edits that editorial were producing were going to Framestore and then Framestore were working with Chivo, director of photography, to plan the lighting and, and actually work out how on earth we were going to shoot all of this. So I was doing at that stage you know, a certain amount of creative work with some very loose raw materials and the technical decisions were going on in the background about how on earth will we film this. Mm. When they came up with the the concept of how to do it, um, on a shot-by-shot basis, the animation that we were using in the previous, which by that stage had got to a quite a, a relatively high level, um, was actually going to uh, drive the machines and all the gear on the day that we were actually going to shoot with. So the cut was the key in the ignition right. for the shoot, frame for frame, Okay, um, which meant that going back to Sandra's performance, mm-hmm. when there's a shot in the cut that lasts five seconds and... Sandra starts in the previous shot her line and her line then comes into this shot and then she floats past and her line continues into the next shot. Yeah. Then Sandra would, you know, on on a day, the morning would be taken shooting that shot and she would have a bit of a run up saying the line, come in, uh the camera would move around her, the lights would move around her, and the camera would move off her and the lights would move off her and she'd finish her line. She was delivering a performance of that level of intensity in tiny, tiny little segments. And so to have a, a continuity, to have a um to, to deliver a performance that permeates through all of that mm. and there's a consistency to mm. it yeah. is unbelievably staggering. Yeah. So yeah, by that stage, of course, you know, just before we got there, we, we were at the stage where the um the studio gave the, the, the film a green light and we ran the film as it was to um sandra and to george and they watched it and then knew what they were about to let themselves in for and (laughs) then the editorial process became even more interesting in post-production because there's no coverage on a movie like that Mm. so within within your you're looking back you had a, a structure for a template of a movie that had some rough performances in there and then you have some true considered defined uh performances based upon months of talks um and read throughs um and then you're actually dealing with some dailies but of course you don't have any visual camera coverage on that Mm, stuff yeah so then the editing process on there became really interesting (laughs) Uh because how do you cut a movie that way and so we then in post we had to make some um uh interesting decisions about how you play with pacing and with rhythm Mm -hmm. and you know running time based upon a film with no coverage where literally you can't cut away to a character back down on earth sure you that character is moving from a to b to c to d to e to f if you need to take out d you've got to be pretty careful about how you're going to join c and e together so um i won't go into the magic of how we do that because to me that was the part of the the fun of the editorial process in that was when you're backed into a corner and this this for me as well as you know my limited uh, directing capacity as well when you're backed into a corner 
and you can't get out uh -huh. by the circumstances that you've, that you've set for yourself. The answers that you come up with in those moments, I find, are often more creatively satisfying yeah. than the original plan. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so we were completely backed into a corner by our own devices. And then you have to be really clever, not just me, I'm talking about the group of collaborators, as to how are we going to get out of this corner? Okay, we can do this. And that to me is is where, you know, some of the real some of the real magic of gravity is the stuff that the audience will never see. Yeah. Good way to end the gravity chat there. I'm just gonna drop this mic on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Walk, <away. laughs> Walk off. <laughs> the difference between editing that and then say transformers. And obviously transformers have got visual effects, but you're also cutting the, the, the dialogue scenes and stuff. Yeah. Well, well tell us the differences between the two for you. One of the um wonderful things about uh, Transformers was that um there's a release date. Mm. So you've, you've got yeah. an ending. Working in this industry is so intense as we all know, you know, mm. it, working on a movie is a battle. It's a it it's is. a war. Uh -huh. And you're up against everything. In the case of something like Transformers when there's a, a hard out, what you can do is you can pace your stamina yeah. to be able to to deliver it. Um, and I think for me that was that was the um, it, I, ironically editorially that's the standout thing that you that, that that comes to mind to answer your question. Okay, so what advice would you give to editors, wannabe editors, people who are editing now? Is there any advice you could give them? For me, I guess what I would say to anybody trying to break in is. Uh, you need to find one or two or three really uh, willing people to, to help you get in because it's all about who you know. Mm -hmm. It's not about what your qualifications are. It's not about your res your showreel. You yes. know, your showreel, when, when I get uh, sent uh, resumes with showreels and stuff, it's wonderful sure. that people can um, uh, are creatively talented. But unfortunately, when you get hired – you're you we're, we're looking for somebody who can come in and be part of our team probably from the ground up and work with them potentially for three years absolutely mm. you, absolutely you want to know you can like that person you know it's it's about liking them it's about them being professionally po politically savvy not saying the, the wrong thing to the wrong person at the wrong time that's mm -hmm. diabolical sure. i could never hire somebody who has a creatively a creative genius but doesn't get it politically sure and that's a sad truth but it's because um you know you're joining a collaborative team you have to be able to not have the ego of somebody who ultimately you know like myself wants to be an editor or be a director what have you you need to come in and say how do you take your tea mm, yeah. and that's not a bad thing i agree i've learned to edit just i mean i'm i'm, I'm okay but i've learned to edit because it's really helped my directing i mean mm. for one out of necessity when we're making promos and low budget whatever right whatever mm. it's actually do you know what? i'll just do it because i know what i want but by doing that, I learned so much about directing. I was like, yeah. well, if I just hung on the shot a little longer, yep. I could have cut there. I didn't have a yeah. – on the feature film, I just made the dare. Yeah. I was constantly thinking about my cut points and my edit. Yep. How do I get from there to there and this to this? So, yeah. Best yeah. thing you can do. Well, um, we're, we're going to have to wrap up. We could talk to you all day. Really could. I could bore you all day. You could. You could. <laughs> Did uh, I mention Fanged Up, by the way? You haven't. No, you haven't. No, oh, right. Tell us about okay. Fanged Up. Oh, well, I'll leave that to you guys. We've run <laughs> okay. out of time. We've run out of time. <laughs> and where can people follow you? Because you are on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, tell us where can people follow you? Uh, uh, Blue Trundle um, at Blue Trundle. Is that um, after Lee Trundle, the footballer? It's ironically, <laughs> I think 
uh, sidebar conversation. Uh, Mark Sanger doesn't know anything about sports. We had this conversation before I <laughs> entered did, the room. Which is why I did. Um, so, in other words, no, it does not. Fine. Um, and I will be strangely cryptic about the origins of that word. If you know or you think you know, please email in <laughs> or, or annoy, Mark, annoy Mark's or agent or Mark himself. So, if you want to, obviously, Mark's work is all over. Um, the world with gravity transformers and you can go back to 3d yeah dying of the day uh troy uh children of men fanged up (laughs) (laughs) um so i do follow him on twitter and you can follow us at filmmakers pod you can follow me at giles alderson or at the dare movie for my movie cj you you must know us by now I know it by now. It's the C. James Direct. I've written it so many times (laughs) on Twitter, uh, on all the tweets that we do. Um, Listen, honestly, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Mark, for your time. Appreciate it. Absolute pleasure. Thank you very, very much uh, for having me. You're a legend. Thanks, buddy. No, you guys are legends. Thank you very much indeed. That's going on a tweet. Yeah, we're keeping that.